Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I've got grade school questions and a million dollars to give away. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Let's go. Get ready. One of the most popular game shows of all time is coming to Audio Up as a podcast. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hey there. Hey, Dennis Quaid is here. That's right. And guess what? I have a podcast. It's called The Denissance, and I think you should listen. I'm having some really cool conversations with some really interesting people like music legend Billy Ray Cyrus, housewife Beverly Hills, Garcelle Bouvet, and many, many more. Listen to The Denissance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts you're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, welcome to the show. It's Scott Lips and this is Lip Service. On today's show, we have Mr. Alex Hebert, the American singer-songwriter, best known, and you know him as a singer of Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. It's the same guy. Alex is a singer of Edward Sharp. I'm a robot. He's also a film scorer. He actually won a uh, Golden Globe 2014. We have a great conversation. Excited to bring it to you today. If you like the show, make sure you download the show. Make sure you tell a friend. Tell five friends. Tell 20 friends. It doesn't matter. Just make sure you uh, rate and review the show. It's very, very helpful for us to spread the word. Coming up in just a moment, Mr. Alex Hebert from Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, welcome to the show. It is Scott Lips, and I am joined with the one and only Alex Ebert. I want to make sure I say that right because I know if we were in New Orleans, that would be perfect. Okay, How, how's the correct pronunciation? What's the? It's uh, just well, Ebert, right? It's I, I want it to be Ebert, but it's generally <laughs> Ebert. Ebert. Okay. Yeah, but when I'm in New Orleans, people are like, "Oh, Alex Ebert." I'm like, "Wow, that sounds so mellifluous." I it love sounds that. almost French the way you say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey man, so you're you're best known obviously for um, all the Edward Sharp stuff. It's a persona you created, but you're, you've done so much in your life, and your story is pretty fascinating. I want to get into all that stuff. You have a new solo record. We're going to get into that, too. And basically, take us back to the beginning. I mean, I know your parents, your father was a therapist, I believe, right? And you were born in L.A. Yeah, my dad is was a therapist. He's still alive, but retired. Um, he was the kind of therapist that does, um, it's called psycho, wait, what's it called? Psychodrama. Psychodrama? Jesus. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think that's what it's called. Um, where essentially he role plays and he pretends he's your father or he's your 
uncle or whoever you're upset and he's like what do you want to tell me and then you know people are screaming at him so when i was a kid he had the office upstairs and i just hear all these muffles like Fuck you. and he'd absorb all this sort of energy and then come down all charged up <laughs> it was pretty wild <laughs> and also childhood. did pretty untraditional things like like he'd be naked everywhere always and, and naked like... i recently asked him why he was always naked and he's like because i was afraid to be naked i was like wow <laughs> that's deep <laughs> and your mom was an actress yeah, yeah. And, and so you grew up in a pretty colorful background i mean did you feel like there was almost like a hippie type mentality to to them growing up because it was yeah. pretty untraditional and yeah and and i guess needless to say it was definitely not of the norm right so yeah, there was definitely like uh, I was aware of like that my parents were super eccentric. Yeah, uh, my ki- my friends would comment on it. Um, what were, what were some of the weird things that your dad would do growing up? And it was sort of I mean, he would answer the door naked. Right, which, um, is, which is what with, I without normally... knowing who was there, <laughs> right. you know. But like the front door, like the postman would arrive yeah, yeah. and he would just be there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's always a bit weird. Yeah, um, standing on his head, yodeling. Um, crying at bizarre moments, uh, shivering and doing this thing where he gets like married to the horizon, as I used to call it. Um, yeah, he was like hyper embarrassing. The most embarrassing thing he would do, though, we'd go to restaurants. Inevitably, he always wanted to switch tables, which always drove me crazy. While you were eating? No, just before. We'd, okay. we'd get there and he'd be like, uh, excuse me, can we? And I'd be like, oh. But then the the thing he would do is before he'd sit down, he'd go into these really overt sort of almost yogic stretches in front of in the uh, restaurant in the restaurant right, which is always like normal. the kind of stretches where you make noise on your way back up where you're like oh, 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 <laughs> shake it all out <laughs> it was like just a constant so you must carnival. have been like this is sort of like the norm of growing up everyone's you know parents no i was i like was this. petrified i know i didn't think it was normal <laughs> at all no <laughs> and at some point your dad actually took you to the desert and was like chanting yes right yes there's, that, there's there's that film of that yeah, yeah. and it's, that sort of led to actually one of your songs later yeah. on in life right so yeah. Yeah, so t- as growing up as a kid, like who were your heroes in terms of like musically? I know you were exposed to a lot. I know that hip hop is a big influence of yeah. yours. But did you have heroes musically that your parents were sort of playing? Like I, I don't know what kind yeah. of music they were into growing up. I had three heroes, I guess, that my dad introduced me to uh, before I discovered hip hop. The first was Pavarotti, who I called Pavotti, and I had a um, uh, a Buddha, a statue of Buddha. I thought it was Pavarotti. Okay, his big, big belly yeah, and his sure. arms were up. And um, and then the other was Vangelis uh-huh. and Chariots of Fire, and then the other was like a combination of all the highwaymen, like uh, you know um, Willie Nelson and uh, Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash and, and Waylon Jennings and Chris Christopherson, yeah. that, that crew. Um, At some point, hip hop came into the picture. For and you, then right? when I was seven, I discovered Run DMC. Right. Yeah. It's kind of a kind of a really cool mix of Run DMC, Johnny Cash, yeah. and these ethereal figures, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so that obviously leads us to where you, your your musical journey began. And and I, did you start like wanted, Did you know from a young age you were going to be a musician? Was that sort of something that you had? Some people know from a very young age that's sort of their path and journey in life. As soon as I found hip hop, yes. As soon as I found Run DMC, I started writing raps. That's amazing. I remember even my first rap. I knew the I knew the show Twenty One Jump Street. I didn't know what it meant, yeah. but I saw it around and it looked cool. So the first rap was um, I've literally never told any. I don't think I've ever <laughs> told anyone this rap. Um, I was walking down the street at a Twenty One beat, going to the market to get some meat. <laughs> it goes on from there. It was like a bacon. It, very basic. Yeah, 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 yeah very basic yeah, sort of. Yeah. yeah, the rudiments of life. Yeah. yeah. So your your first rap was actually bacon inspired, which yeah. is awesome. And obviously, cinema played a big role in, in who you became, and you yeah. went on to score a lot of stuff. You actually got nominated for a Golden Globe, and 
done a ton in the film world. So where did that love of film come in? Were there were there movies too that were that your parents were like yeah. watching that you're really inspired by? You know what it was uh, in part because of Vangelis actually because my dad was so into playing Vangelis and because he was also so into taking us on these road trips mm. and the road trips were always through like southwest super hyper cinematic country and he'd bl be blasting like Vangelis yeah. while we're passing this Martian landscape in like Taos or wherever we're you know um, Canyon de Chez and I would be looking out the window and I would just I, I understood the power of like visual mixed with with audio yeah and just passing these landscapes in my mind would just unfurl and um, and then, yeah, he would also, it's funny because my mom was the actress, but really he was the one that would be like, hey, Mikey, that's my middle name. Mikey, <laughs> come here. I'm going to show you this movie or I'm going to show you that thing. And he'd always sort Are you of, from the East Coast? No, but he had that sort of like oh, okay. Mikey, you know. Because yeah, I'm from old, New York. It sounded like, yeah, yeah. like uh, yo, from, Mikey, what's up? He Are was from, from, yeah, <laughs> they, they, they met in New York. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, w I would get exposed to all that stuff. Usually like. A lot of Morricone stuff, a lot of stuff with great score, Good, the Bad, the Ugly, yeah. stuff he was introducing me sure. to. Um, a lot of buddy stuff, like Western stuff yeah. that he was into, yeah. So you had an amazing upbringing culturally, and, and obviously in, in college you ended up writing a few screenplays, right? Yeah. And you started really getting into the film aspect of things. Yeah. Did you think you were going to go more into film when you were in college? Or yes. did you really, okay. In fact, I went to school for college. The only thing that saved me in my mom's eyes and prevented my father from sending me to trade school when I was 13 or 14 is that I came home and I said... Uh, Mom, have you ever heard of Charlie Chaplin? <laughs> and she told my dad, she's like, he likes Charlie Chaplin. He's going to be mm -hmm. fine. Because, you know, that, that was her opinion. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so she immediately enrolled me in these extracurricular filmmaking classes starting at age 15. So I started making these short movies. I got into Emerson because of my grades where I hated school. Yeah, I did too. But, but I, got to, I got to Emerson. Then I wrote a screenplay and dropped out. And yeah. did any of that stuff see the light of day, like screenplay-wise? No, I'm still, I still, I, you know, I've written like seven at this point okay. but um music ended up just taking over yeah as, yeah. It, as it normally does when you yeah. have that itch right so did you meet your first guys in college that you started playing with were you writing songs sort of parallel when you were doing all the film stuff um so the first my first the first member in like what eventually became i'm a robot and the first member in eventually what became edward sharp were both christian letts who huh. i knew when, since i was three years old and we went to elementary school together so there was that um, because your first band was actually called Lucky 13, right? Lucky, yeah, or the, or there was like a, a rap yeah. band before that. There was a there few some... rap bands before okay. that, but the first iteration of I'm a Robot was 13's Lucky. Um, and um, yeah, and Christian uh, was in that. But I lost, we, as, as I like to say, we lost Christian to swing dancing. I don't know if you remember <laughs> like when swing dancing took over for a second, like kind around of, the movie Swingers. Kind of, oh, yeah, I love that movie. Um, but there, there was that place on those flea lists, actually, that... Um, what was that place? You might know that place. Oh yeah, yeah, Ryan? the Derby. Place, the Derby, right? Yeah, that yeah. was like a big. That was a whole. Wasn't thing. that like a? I yeah. never went there, but I heard that was like a, a whole scene. Man. Yeah, it was such a scene that we literally like. He started talking different. He, you know, he got <laughs> tattoos that were like, "What's the paler sailor?" Like just all these like forties, <laughs> and um, we just like lost him. He married a, uh, you know, like a, a, a swing person, and I was just eventually I was like. Like a, you know, like you, a swing you have your instructor world or something. He like, yes, he became he an instructor. He became uh, he was a uh, the world champion Amazing. at the Lindy Hop. Like he took it really seriously. Ironically, <laughs> Edward Sharp's drummer was also a world champion, but at like the 
whatever the other, whatever, you know, I can't remember the names of these dances. So you have this unspoken swing connection that you didn't yeah, even know. Yeah, swing hatred. Oh, right. I keep losing all my friends to swing. <laughs> yeah. That movie is actually one of my favorite movies. The whole, yeah, I don't know good. how much, but that the whole thing when he calls that girl and he leaves like nine messages on her machine and she's like, don't yeah, ever call I, me I was again. in the shower. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't ever call me again. <laughs> That's um, So, all right, so the first band was actually this Lucky 13 iteration. Like, yeah. wh- where did that come from? Like, what? because obviously the rap yeah. stuff, you dabbled in the rap I stuff. I dabbled in rap and then... Uh, by the time I was 17, like late 90s, um, the rap stuff, I was like, I, I, it got, I got disenchanted with all the bling and it became, it lost its storytelling creativeness to me. Yeah. Cause so you went to run DMC, but who else were you into? In, the, in my, the... my golden era was like 93 West coast okay. and East coast, so like Tupac all and all native tongues. And, and then the whole West coast, like, you know, um, uh, uh fuck who, yeah. Jesus Christ! Who's what? What's the crew that was up in in the Bay? Um, uh, well, yeah, well, yeah, Tupac, yeah, Biggie, you had uh, no Souls of Mischief, and then oh, Farside, right, okay. like the oh, kind right, of creative, right, right, kind right, of okay. backpack yeah, hip hop, yeah, yeah. like Golden like Era, the most mystic hip hop. Yeah, the mystic, yeah, like, yeah that Farside right. album, for instance, is like my top in my top cool. three albums of all time. Yeah. So anyway, that that era left, you know. I'll call it like eclectic. Yeah, hip-hop eclectic yeah. hip hop. It yeah. was having this amazing reign. But anyway, so then I left music and uh, and was like, what kind of music am I going to sort of listen to? So I was like, I'll try like Bob Marley. Like, who are all these like people like David Bowie? Who are these people I missed? <laughs> yeah. While my head was just completely up hip hop's ass. And then I started thinking, well, maybe I'll try a melody while rapping. So I, I dropped out of college. I was on a ton of drugs, and it's actually really hard to make a movie when you're on a yeah, lot of drugs. It's of hard. To, it's too collaborative. Yeah. Um, I made one, but then I just like it just unraveled. But you can do that with music. Sometimes <laughs> the drugs help the music. But yeah, sometimes you can, they you don't, can right? get away with it on music. Yeah. Um, so I bought a beat machine, and I just started making. The first thing I sampled was. Um, I wish I still had this tape. It was um, this scene in True Romance, and I just sampled it. Turned it into this beat. It was called Alabama because I was just so in love with Alabama Whirly, and um, and then I just started singing. The first thing I really sang on made me sob. It was so bad, but I just <laughs> kept going. And then it became this like, Thirteen's Lucky. I'm a robot hybrid uh, or pre, you know, predecessor thing. Did that band eventually become I'm a robot? Yeah, it became okay. I'm a robot. Uh, Tim Anderson came in, and uh, initially I'm a Robot was like almost exclusively hip hop yeah. based. You it's know? funny because it is like electro punk, whatever. Yeah, and then it turned alt, into just alt. like punk yeah. rock yeah. or like whatever the hell that <laughs> whatever the hell I'm a Robot was. <laughs> Did you were you into punk at an early age? Like what bands were you no, into? No, I got into punk late. What punk supplanted my love for hip hop. Eventually, yeah. hip hop was my punk rock, and then when that and then I found punk rock, and I was like, oh shit, this is. This is dope too. Like this is this has that same energy for me. Have you ever seen Decline or the Western Civilization? Yeah, such a great movie. That yeah. whole era was so great. Yeah. Um, so you got into that stuff, and then eventually you guys get a deal with Virgin, right? Mm-hmm. How did that come about? That whole big process? ass deal. So we had this m- manager named Missy Worth that yeah. we like hired on for a second, and um, and she came in, and she's this like, she was just she has this reputation for being um, harsh. Anyway, she came in. I'm not going to talk, you know. <laughs> but like she came in and she she looked at us all and she goes, "If you guys want to take it up to the big leagues, you need to take it up 18 notches." And I was like, "18 what fucking notches. What does that even fuck mean? You, 18 yeah. notches. What the fuck is 18 <laughs> notches?" And I went home and that day and the next day I wrote um uh uh here's a story for the kid, Dynamite and Alive, the two songs that basically kind of 
got assigned totally out of spite. And I've had people like hippie friends that are like, right? Like you never like you don't create like out of sense of competition or spite, right? I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> like half my creations are out of spite. Yeah. Like that's you where know, some of the best music comes from. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> the anger and the you know the, the infighting with the bands and whatnot. Yeah, um, definitely. And and uh, Crease Me Out is probably my favorite track. Oh, cool. Uh, we're gonna go through your whole musical history here. Um, how long do we have? We have a while, I think. We'll be back in one second, and uh, we'll get into the rest of it. Thanks, guys. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, so we are back. I want to kind of jump to a lot of people know you. Obviously, you're sort of synonymous with Edward Sharp, and you created that persona. How did that come about? Obviously, I know it's a character you created. I, I, I know that that sort of people know you for that band. You've done so much in your life. But tell us how, like, leading up to that. I'm a robot. This band after a couple albums, Yeah, right? man. So Had the big record deal. I got the big record deal. We did the thing. But then I got kind of cowed into this process where suddenly I was writing. I felt like I was just writing songs with radio in mind and writing songs with other people in mind and instead of the label instead of for myself yeah. and I started to lose my sense of what brought me joy with music so aside, I, I literally was at like an almost suicidal depression at that point so I, I, I was sort of desperate and I thought back to like when was the last time I felt totally pure with music and I went back and back and back and I arrived with Christian Letts and me Your swing in elementary, my swing friend, pre-swing, <laughs> yeah. in elementary school when we were when we had this music classes every day at this tiny little hippie elementary school in the valley called CCS, and this woman Ruth would play an acoustic guitar, and all the kids would sing in unison, sing out of key, and bl- bang on tambourines. I was like, that there's something there's something about that that I need to re-explore. Just completely removed from the business and from the professionalism. And so I started writing songs that were more like sing-alongs that like, and having this idea of like totally unprofessionalizing professionalism where anyone could be in the band. And it would just be this sort of more social family movement thing that really didn't hold up to, didn't have some threshold of sort of uh, professional occupancy, but was just like this. Well, sort of how those sing-alongs were, yeah, yeah the, the sing-alongs like, were like out of time. Just a mess. Out of key. Exactly. Right. right. And that's what I wanted it to be. It was just like this jubilant mess. Yeah. And uh, get back to the essence of what music was about. So I started writing that kind of shit. And uh, the reason why, in some in so many ways, doing Edward Sharp was more of like a return to my five-year-old self. But at that point, who Alex Ebert was, like I just lost the plot yeah. for myself. So in some ways, taking on another name allowed me to sort of have a tabla rasa blank slate where I was able to just be like, okay, I'm back. Whatever I am, like, this is me. It's interesting <laughs> because you almost started a movement there with Mumford and & Sons and mm-hmm. the Lumineers and all these artists. Dare I say you guys were definitely one of the first mm-hmm. to really, I mean, how do you feel about that in terms of creating that that folk thing is so big now and, and you definitely were one of the pioneers of yeah. the, that alt country yeah. you know, that that folk thing that that came about and, and is so huge now do you feel good about that do you feel like i feel on the know? whole i feel good about it because i think that um i like that i like the vibe of it it's yeah. cool like campfire shit is great um and earnestness well that's the thing i'm most proud of i feel like we brought back we helped bring back earnestness earnestness was something that i think was completely illegal in rock and roll for a long time i remember feeling like i couldn't smile on stage um, like 
if I was earnest, it was just lame as fuck. It was mm. all about sort of leather jackets and, you know, and snarls. And, um, and I realized the most punk rock thing I could do then was do the most unhip thing I could do, which was be earnest. Yeah. And I think now it's sort of, you know, to sing an earnest love song or to, to, to speak unironically about something, about love or something, is like now okay. And I think that that's something that I'm, that I'm happy about. And at some point you guys had like 14 members in the band, right? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and there was this great thing I heard that you guys would go to different cities and perform and it was all this kind of celebration. You'd invite people on stage. Yeah. There was like a fiddler that came on stage. You guys ended up taking him on the road for a week. That's right. Which is yes. pretty, I don't think that's ever really happened before. I right. don't. I don't know about bands just taking just like taking, audience just members absorbing and absorbing. Come on in the band the for a week. Yeah. yeah. And how did that? Was that something you would do frequently? Was that something? Um, that, was that was sort of the ethos. Yeah, yeah. That was the general vibe. But at a certain point, the bus only holds so many, so right. you end up like you know you have your capacity. But um, that was definitely the vibe. And yeah, musicianship sort of took a back seat to like happenstance, and yeah. that was fun. I feel like, I don't know, because I, I, I like touring, but I don't know if you know that I, I play too. Um, I play with Courtney Love and her band. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, it was hard to sleep. I never really toured that much, and I slept in that little, like, I don't know, it's almost like a coffin, yeah. you know, and you're yeah. trying to sleep, and your head is hitting yeah. the back of the bus, and you're, you're going over these bumps, and it's impossible to get a good night's sleep. Did, do you like the touring life? No, obviously, I hate it. yeah. So that communal thing, fucking hate it. But but that connection with your fans is obviously it's some, the best. Yeah, that one hour on stage, the one hour is amazing. Is amazing. <laughs> but the other twenty three <laughs> hours, you're sitting around, but besides sleeping, and you're like, what I do know. I do? So what was your, what would you fill your days with? I would just actually take a tour bus and like explore the city on those like weird double decker yeah. tours because I had nothing to do. But you know, it's funny. You think like. I mean, I made an album. I made a solo album while I was on tour. Cool. I tried to fill up my day. But um, if you're not really, really aggressive about trying to create some variety, it's amazing what kind of lethargy <laughs> yeah. do it, like being on a bus will inspire in you yeah. or uninspire in you. Yeah, it's pretty, it can get sort of depressing. The other day we did this Grammy Museum thing and it was amazing. Oh, that's right. You I did that it. last night or the night before? Last night. Yeah. Yeah. And it was amazing. And then we go back, they're like, here's the green room. And I go in the green room and I see the sandwiches. And the th like, and I start getting these flashbacks of tour. You know, I'm just right. like, you know, the the, the spinal tap sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And I was like, oh no, yeah. The bread doesn't fit. Forgot about this. The cold cuts. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So, would you fill your days with writing songs on the bus? Would you explore the city? Like, what what was your kind um, of because you kind of were like a big, huge yeah. family, right? Yeah. No, we we what we did is we all brought bicycles. Okay. That's and cool. we would go on like bicycle rides, and it was the most. That was my favorite. Uh, pastime for sure it was all of our favorite Ev after every show we would go on these we called it night riding and we'd go on these like one hour two hours Amazing. explorations yeah, it was super fun what was your favorite city from being on the road because obviously the oh touring boy. part's grueling but there yeah. obviously new orleans is something that new yeah, orleans new orleans takes there, the cake so, right, new so, orleans takes the cake yeah. but there were cities that i didn't know like milwaukee how much i love milwaukee yeah. or you know just these cities where you're like oh this heard, city's incredible did i hear a great quote that you said or you quoted someone saying there's new york san francisco and uh, there's uh, New York, San Francisco, and New Orleans. Everything else is in between uh, or something, or is uh, like you know whatever. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. Milwaukee, but it's something. Right, else. something like that. Yeah, um, that's kind of how you felt on the road. Yeah, that's yeah. how I felt. Yeah, well, it's not... funny because the more that everything gets homogenized, like you're just going from one P.F. Chang to the next. <laughs> right, you right, don't even right. see what totally else true. is happening. And what's life life for you now in New Orleans? I mean, what's your because you're you're writing all this new music, yeah. and you're scoring, you have your solo records yeah. and stuff, but versus LA cuz you grew up here I know. right so what's what's the sort of the different you know 
I mean, like we were talking about earlier, it's like L.A. has this, like I know, I realize because I grew up here, whatever it is, I know, I feel like I know at least 10,000 people here or something. And I used to run into people and they're all good friends. In New Orleans, um, it's like me and the city. Mm. And I love that because New Orleans to me is like, my good friend Jenna, if you're listening, she she describes like a lot of places are the birthplace of this or the birthplace of that. New Orleans actually feels like a mother. Yeah, like it's like wet and like <laughs> right. birthing right. like stuff all the time. And and there's something about that environment that's perfect for the creative process for me. And an amazing energy, unlike not unlike New York, where you yeah. have just that energy in the streets and that kinetic energy. Yeah, we were talking about our friend Sidney Torres. Who yeah. If you're listening to who's the yeah. soon to be mayor. What's up, Sydney? <laughs> yeah, we're rooting for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Daily Life there is just you have a studio there, right? This is where yeah. you created the new album, right? Yeah. To a song that obviously you you're also synonymous for home, which yeah. has inspired so many great things for you, weddings, uh, anniversaries. You know, it's it's been a s there's there's a storytelling process to that song that's probably inspired people, saved lives, and you have to feel great about that, I would imagine, yes. right? So Tell me what that song means to you. A lot of people end up sort of resenting the fact when they have this song. No, that man. But you just gave me chills. Yeah. It's true. Like, it, th- that song, people have come come up and bluntly told me, like, that song saved, saved my life. Yeah, it, I met this person. It changed my life. It did this. And we got married to it. And all of those things completely temper any whatever. that I. You know, the thing about that song that's kept it fresh for me is every time we perform it, instead of me telling a story, when I tell the story of me and Jade meeting... Jay uh, was you, Jay was in your band, yeah. and you guys dated for a yeah, while, yeah. I guess, and then and then we and that story of like her falling on her ass that I tell yeah, in the middle yeah, of the st- song yeah. is totally true. But yeah. instead of doing that, what what did happen in that? Because I I obviously know she was in my apartment, she fell out of a window, or and something, I look over, I, all I hear is ah, <laughs> and like I look over, and she's not in the window anymore. <laughs> were you up on the fifth floor, or where were we, we were just on a second floor? Okay, all right. and she had fallen into a bush of bougainvillea. Okay, um, so but I jumped out, found her on the you know in this bush, and we took her to the hospital. Um, she kept going, my leg, it's my leg. And he's like, the doctor's looking at the leg and she, her leg, and she's like, no, the ligament. <laughs> she has a hilarious, hilarious sense of humor in that moment. But um, but no, instead of that, we, we hand the microphone to the audience, and I ask anybody if they have stories to tell. And the most heartfelt, beautiful experiences of our live show are almost inevitably the stories that the audience will tell. Any ones that sort of, you know, stay true to you that you bring out in your head? Like- yes, yeah, yeah. God, God rest um, Hayden um, De Roberts. Hayden De Roberts. I was at. We were we were playing. It was like 2011, uh, Bonnaroo, and I was collecting stories from 60,000 people. Wow. Like it was a huge audience. Amazing. And much to everybody's chagrin, like the stories were terrible, but I was also determined to get a good one. So I'm spending like 15 minutes in the audience just collecting horrible. Useless. During the song, or this, yeah, this during is like, the, well, song. the song is playing. Okay. Yeah, they're like playing, and I'm <laughs> right. collecting just turn your cell phones off. Just really bad stories <laughs> right. that are non-stories. Right. And finally, on the sixth attempt, I hand the microphone to this kid, tan kid, looks like you know cheeky kid, and he ha- and I, he takes the mic. He's like, I don't know if you remember, but about a year and a half ago, I was in the hospital, and you guys came to visit, and you played me some songs, and that day. I got a bone marrow transplant that saved my life. Oh, my God. And here he was. And we all remembered this kid, but he looked completely different back mm. then. He was gaunt, yeah. like a wisp of a man. And here he was in the sunshine and doing his thing. So we bring him on stage. It was just one of those, like, for a 
blessed. Like that <laughs> Forrest Gump moment in yeah, the middle of 60,000 people, we find this kid. Then did he joined the band too? <laughs> I wish he joined the band, <laughs> he man. And he ended up passing. Oh, he my got God. sick and passed. Oh but it was Sorry. one of those it was one of those beautiful moments. He inspired us so much. Like we we really kept track of him and yeah. kept track of like what he was doing and how he was trying to help kids and um, inspire people. And we've met so many inspiring people because of that storytelling of process. So you actually embraced that song, which yeah. is great. It's a great thing. So and Heath Ledger actually kinda helped yeah. sort of fund the band and shit, yeah. right? How'd you guys meet him? How'd that even happen? Um, so Heath was a part of this crew called The Masses. It's an okay. uh, art collective in the ma- called The Masses. And um he was out here a bunch. I got to know him a little bit when I was doing I'm a Robot, but then with Edward Sharp, you know, I wanted to put it out and he wanted to start a record label and he heard the stuff. And we started hanging out, and he's like, okay, this is great. He actually wanted me to put out the demos. He's like, don't don't record the album. Just put these out, you know? And I almost listened to him. But um, but the, the, and it's true that the sort of essence of who that band is, you don't want it to produce, right? Yeah. The idea was to really have, like, the unproduced exactly. album and have it not slick as opposed to, exactly. like, all the, the heavy production that goes yeah. on these days. You wanted almost the demo qualities yes. out there, right? So Thankfully, when we did record it, none of us really knew what we were doing, and we <laughs> recorded it all to tape. So it <laughs> maintained, yeah, like, that, a, that. a garage quality, which is actually one of my favorite parts about that album. But, yeah, Heath, man, Heath was... Heath really, really, really inspired me because the day, basically starting on, the moment I met him, he squeezed the space between like inspiration and actualization. Like he'd be like, I have an idea, let's go do it. Mm. And it reminded me of me when I was younger. And um, after he died, his voice and his presence stayed with me so palpably it would guy i mean it would literally tell me what like i bought the bus with like his guidance i decided to start a label myself with his guy like everything was like yeah in the spirit of heath yeah you guys had a deeper connection yeah and so now when you're writing music the band is sort of on a hiatus for now Uh, we're gonna make, make another album this year amazing yeah how do you decide which tracks are for your solo venture because yeah. obviously genre wise you've kind of you had that, you know, I'm a Robot was more sort of in the electronic yeah. punks. And then your new stuff has a bit of hip hop in it. Yeah. It's got a, a heavy sort of electro side to it, too. So are you sort of consciously deciding these tracks are for my solo project? This is for Edward Sharp? I mean, how do you decide? I think I where finally it? figured it out. And I think what it is is um, if it's like personal, emotional stuff, like if I'm, go- if I'm getting emo, that's for me. Okay. And I'm not going to subject my band <laughs> right. to representing right. my own personal emotions. Yeah. But if it's about like sort of a communalized emotion, then that's for Edward Sharp. Cool. Yeah. And, and obviously scoring is something that you love to do I too, love right? It, yeah. So All Is Lost won a Golden Globe. Yeah. Pretty amazing. So how much of your time too are you spending doing that stuff too? It's sort of like divided. Between I'd like that? to spend more time doing it. Um, you know, it's it's one of the greatest things musically ever in a way because as you know, songs no matter how much you think you're experimenting you end up following the like verse chorus verse chorus format which is cool but sometimes you know what if a chorus doesn't want to come back yeah and in scoring you get to do that where you're only serving the purpose the 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 necessity and i love that you know like really just serving music as a necessity as opposed to like a requirement any plans to do more scoring coming up stuff no plans but you know it always comes uh, out like henry mancini said i'm waiting i'm waiting by the phone (laughs) so the new album alex is sort of a it's a double album right you've been dropping music you've been dropping singles I think the state of music these days is an interesting one, right? The, the conventional idea of an album almost doesn't really need to exist anymore. So you've definitely been following the untraditional path and just single. I think you dropped, what, three or four singles last year? Yeah. 
and now the new record, um, and I think it's a double record also. The second half comes out later. We're going to drop that on a, on a whim. Yeah, so, later, so yeah. how has the music business changed for you in terms of like the way that you're approaching releasing music, obviously technology, like where do you see it? Because years ago you just had to release a record, right? It's an interesting conversation, man. It because is. Because theoretically is. everything you're saying is 100%, Yeah. but the business and people's mindset is still stuck in the idea of like a product. Yeah and the excitement around like a collection. So, you know, still to these days, like radio won't really look at something unless they're like, well, where's the album? Right. You know? Honestly, then, even for press, right? People yeah. are like, you just have a single out? Let's yeah. wait till the album. Let's wait that, for right? the album. Yeah. So it's still about this album. And I gotta say, like, there's this really solid argument that an album is a total abstract concept based on how many songs could fit on a piece of vinyl. Yeah. But I do think that there is something magic about that number between 8 and 15 but with something to do with listener fatigue setting in after that yeah. and there's something about that number that does create like and that 45 to 60 minute number where you sort of sit down and absorb something all at once so i don't know man i mean i i i totally with you but I think that collections, playlists, yeah. let's say, but collections still are going to be a thing. It's almost making a playlist for yeah. this generation, right? So the new album, I vs. I, let's yeah. talk about it for a moment. You, you just released the video, Fluid. Any uh, any stories behind like the inspiration for the video? It's very cool. I watched yes. it. It definitely has a cool, yeah, um, interesting vibe to it. So, so my baby mama, um, let me let me let me. Well, yeah, it's fine. You have right. a three-year-old, four-year-old? A, a seven-year-old. Oh, seven-year-old, okay. Fucking time is flying. I was watching stuff from years ago, so I didn't yeah. even know seven. Okay. Maybe. So I, I had a relationship where um, my girlfriend and I broke up, and she um, started dating women. And the fluidity with that was like, I was like, yeah, but, but I want to, like, how can I, <laughs> but what about, how can I, how can I also... <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? I'm down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'll <laughs> um, be part of this. I'll, I'm down. Know, I'm down. Right. I'm, I'm fluid. <laughs> so, but, but, but what I realized is like from a sort of a cheerleading standpoint and, and approaching sort of the general notion of fluidity, because I, I remember I did this interview a long ass time ago with I'm a Robot where they're like, uh, it was without magazine actually. They're like, are you, uh, what do you consider yourself? And I, I've always been really reticent about categorization. Like sure. I, I always find it. Even with in. music. Even with music. Yeah. Even with like, like I'm good with chromosomes, and then like after that, I don't know, you know. <laughs> right. um, so I'm I'm really into the you know the the general concept with all of it, and and but I was thinking, how do you express that in a video? And one of my favorite videos has always been the Peter Gabriel sledgehammer oh, of video. Of course, great video. And and I was thinking, well, for me, the future to me the future is going to have this eventuality of fluidity as we sort of enter this new age of like you know uh, singularity where we're sort of like transmogrifying and, and morphing at all at all points and and tables are turning into chairs like when we s tell them to or whatever the hell is gonna awaits us yeah and um, and what I realized that there is a symbiosis between our biology our actual biologies and that eventuality and I wanted to somehow sort of show that like you know cells splitting and dividing and changing and, and nature and and disintegration and re generation and all of these things and there's just such beautiful imagery when you look at like microscopic footage of stuff so it sells like, actually that's what it is yeah cells yeah. and yeah and now that you reference peter gabriel's sledgehammer i can totally see the references yeah, yeah. that's great so it's it's interesting so you uh 
you have this record coming out. The, the next record's coming out, what, a few months later? It's because it's a double album? Yeah, so we're going to, that maybe is, uh, you know, that might be enshrouded in uh, in secrecy. Okay. But, uh, but it's going to, I'm I'm finishing it up now. Cool. It's funny that you said that because it's, um, I, dare I say, you had this sort of like Messiah-like quality in Edward Sharp. <laughs> and so the idea of this communal aspect of Edward Sharp and even your current relationship that's you just referenced. So it's not that bizarre, that concept, because you have that persona, right? Yeah. So, so, but taking that to this new record is this mostly about the breakup is it about sort of yeah it's my personal went? shit it's like um dude I, I realized that by removing myself and being like sort of emotionally communal all the time i sort of i sort of i sort of got used to not having to share my own personal feelings on certain things my interpersonal relation depression I sort of got used to the idea of like ex- being above the f- above the phrase. So when I suddenly was going through this breakup and the disintegration of this dream of the family unit and this whole thing, and I was experiencing like real depression and sadness and grief and talking to my kid about death and all these things, that if I really wanted to speak to this, I was going to have to actually speak to it. Mm. And, um, and that was a bit of a leap. I hadn't done that in a long-ass time. So most of this is sort of interpersonal yeah. relationships. Yeah. And do you miss sort of being on the road now? Because I know you guys are going to record, but it's still going to be probably another year or so before you're out there doing this. I don't miss it yet, but yeah. I but I think it's... I lo- I miss performing a little yeah. bit. Like, I, I really love performing, you know? It's that one hour on stage, It's that right? one hour on stage. Yeah. You connect with people in a way that... you. Where else do you get to do that? No question. Because you, know you, I mean? you did a, a gig at uh, Coachella... That I heard you talk about how you were nervous before you played. Yeah. And I, I always get nervous, and I remember. Um, I, I guess if I'm going to name drop a little bit, I, I actually sat with Mick Jagger years ago, and he was saying how he got nervous <laughs> even now to this day before he performs. Yeah. And I was like, "You get nervous? How do, you're Mick Jagger? How do you get nervous?" He's like, "Yeah, I still, you know, it happens to me." So I mean, they say that that's it, once you lose that, like that's, that's it, right? That's yeah. it. Because yeah. you kind of go up there with Edward Sharp, you would go up there without having a set list. Yeah. You, I remember seeing a, a gig recently where you just sort of got on stage, you were almost like call out in the audience, yeah. what should we do? Yeah, yeah. Right? So was that sort of the idea, sort of the antithesis of whatever the norm would be for a band to get up there and have the set list every night? Yeah, it was part of the sort of decon- unprofessionalizing professionalism. Deconstructing. Yeah. yeah. Making it still that fourth grade, fifth grade, like sing-along thing. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to gig out with this new album that you have? Uh, yeah, I think it's inevitable. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to. It's so fun. That thing at the Grammy Museum was amazing, and we're doing a Colbert thing. Cool. So yeah. Are you doing fluid? On Colbert? Yeah. No, we're doing. I think we're gonna do stronger. Okay. But uh, it's sort of a TBD thing because yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll be right back with Alex in a second. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, we're back. So the record's actually out like today, right? Yeah. Cool. And it's 10 tracks? Uh, 14. 14. Amazing. Yeah. So the double record could conceivably be like 30 tracks or something. Yes. Probably hard for people to digest that much music right yeah. now these days. I think it's a lot probably. Everyone's into the singles and whatnot. Yeah. So so 2020, you got your studio in New Orleans, yeah. right? Most of the music you're doing is there. Yes, all of it. Are yeah. you collaborating with people for this new album or is it mostly stuff you do on your own? I do a lot of it on my own, but there's some incredible musicians, uh, New Orleans-based musicians, bass player Donald Ramsey, who's just like a legend there, and uh, Brad Walker, saxophone player, who's on that track we just heard, Fluid, and Donald Ramsey, both the bass and uh, and sax combo used on a bunch of these songs. Cool. Yeah. 
It's a great album. I want to talk a little bit about your activism because you yeah. have a lot of causes that you're connected to. Uh, let's talk about uh, what's the one that's most near and dear to your heart, I guess, because there are there's like political stuff. You have yeah. a lot of different things that you have going on. In that I space. think the most the most important in some ways um, and dear to me is um, is the work with Big Sun Foundation where we set up these um, community land trusts. Um, and what that is for anyone who doesn't know, um, we basically a community land trust is a bunch of sort of properties. They don't have to necessarily be like, you know, contiguous properties that all get put into a trust um, so that, you know, for low-income housing or for, you know, to obviate any, like, weird speculative real estate market uh, gentrification stuff. So, like, for instance, our, our first project is in Detroit. Because um, you bought a lot of land there, right? Yeah, we have now. We have 40, I think we have 40 lots now. Okay. Um, all in this area. And it's all really due to this woman, uh, Shamaim Shu, Mama Shu, everyone calls her. And... Um, she was there, she had the first place, and then we started picking up properties next to her. She had this vision already. So the main thing, what I love about it is going into a neighborhood and finding someone who already wants to do something for their neighborhood. They mm -hmm. already have the vision of like creating low-income housing, creating um, you know, uh, shops for local artisans. And, and these, are in, these are in places that are not like hi-fi places, yeah. you know, this is like in the middle of Detroit. Yeah, I went um, there, it was total a little blight. bit, some parts were a little bit uh, yeah. scary when I went there. Yeah, I mean, an occupancy of like 700,000 people in a city built for three and a half million, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, So that Is that what you're doing with the land that you purchased? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So it'll go, you'll basically take that land, redevelop it. Yeah, I mean, schools, they don't, have a high, they don't have a high school. They don't have a, so we have, we, we built something called the Homework House for kids where they can come. We have a computer bank uh, that Dell donated and um, a bunch of people have donated for this thing. We're set, setting up basketball courts. I mean, this is a place that didn't even have a street light over this gigantic, like, 12-foot crater in the middle of the street and kids are just bicycling by it at night. There's so much that was missing from schools being closed and whatnot to not having sort of like any anywhere to eat. Um, and now we have like vertical farming, Amazing. Uh, all these sort of educational things. It's really about kids, yeah. you know? Yeah. I've seen some of the vertical farming stuff and yeah. it's pretty incredible. So that's great. And then obviously Bernie Sanders, a big And a big Bernie, fan. yeah, Bernie. Yeah. We and, can't uh, uh, not talk about that because yeah. you're a huge uh, proponent of him. And yeah. Let's talk about like any thoughts coming up with everything going I mean on I'm him. just glad that Seems like he's winning. He's polls, sort of so. starting to win yeah, and pretty cool. and I I just think it's so cool because for me what I always understood being liberal to be about or progressive to be about is to be about the community, to be about sort of having putting the community not necessarily all the way before yourself but you're a part of this community and doing things with the public sort of like with the communal interest in mind has always been what like that was about to me. But then you have sort of corporate interests and all these things infiltrating and have never really fundamentally made the Democratic Party really stay true to its word in that respect. Mm. And um, and to see someone who's just brazenly and blatantly sort of about the idea of sharing and caring I just love it, man. I love I love that he's sort of like this incorruptible um, force that at le at the very least, you know, 
um, not to put him on any kind of pedestal, but I can track his history. I go out in the streets and protest, and so does he. Yeah, He's actually out there. He was out there when he was a kid. He's out there then. He's talking about all this stuff we're talking about now 20, 30 years ago, and I love that. It's amazing, you know? yeah. yeah. I feel like uh, hopefully good things coming up this year yeah. for sure. So definitely stream. I versus I. Any other projects coming up this year? Because obviously there's so much you have going uh, on. Recording so. a new Edward Sharp album. Amazing. So um, that's going to be for this year. Yeah. Coming out next year. No, probably coming out this year. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Are you guys still on a? Which label are you guys on now? Uh, well, uh, Community Music. Our, okay, cool. our own, Your la- own label. The label I started right. after Heath died. I was oh, like, amazing. You know? Amazing. Yeah. Cool. So and obviously that'll come out. And then hopefully you'll be touring next year. Yes, we will okay. almost certainly be doing some touring. Yeah. And any like one-off gigs besides the Grammy Museum? We yeah, yeah, we got a one-off gig. Brian, where's the? Uh, we got the oh, Dominican cool. Republic, but where's? We, can we announce the thing that's right now? Shout out to Brian, who's beach, in the corner. Beach life, <laughs> beach life, beach life in Redondo Beach in May, right? Is that a festival? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Who else is on that festival? Do you? Know? Uh, Steve Miller Band. Very cool. And uh, Sublime. I like those eclectic right? festivals. Yeah. I always like the, the uh, sort of the Bonnaroo, some of those really eclectic mixes of. Uh, I love those gigs, yeah, dude. I like, mean, I love the hip festivals, yeah. like the, but like Coachella's I love the like the eclectic ones. I love the eclectic ones Definitely. too because real music lovers yeah. like go there, and it's not about the scene; it's Definitely. about the music. There's that one in San Diego I always go to. I forget the name of it. It's um, it's in La Jolla. It's like that. I forget the name of it. But it's always like you have like hip hop and eighties. It's like. We'll we'll think of this in one second. Uh, as soon as you leave, we'll think of it. But it's great. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. So a lot of exciting stuff coming up. Check out Fluid. Download all the new music. Yeah. Make sure you. Well, actually, you is can't. there downloads now? I was. Everybody's asking where do I download. Yeah, stream like, it. Download right? it. <laughs> oh, Bandcamp page will be up today. Okay. Yeah. And follow you on social media. And follow me on uh, you know Alex underscore Ebert at Instagram.com or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's probably your favorite thing to do, but yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, that's how you connect with people these days. You know right? what? Same dude, go to, oh yeah, yeah. Actually, it's in, an interesting thing we put together. Like, t- we've tried to put together the whole story of me musically and creatively Amazing. at samedude.com with a five, five M-A-A-M-E dot com. Um, five A-M-E dot com or five A-M-E dude got to, got, five A-M-E dude. There's a lot com. of stuff to remember. Yeah, and it's just like a list of all the stuff I've done, so it's kind of cool. Awesome. Yeah. Hey man, it was a pleasure. We never got to hang before. So I'm much. sure we know like a lot of the same people. Oh, I'll say one, cool. one more thing. Yeah. I have an app that this podcast will be on. Oh, amazing. Um, and it allows, What's that called? It's called Tuners. Okay. And it allows uh, that, users okay. to um, to actually send voice memos back and forth and create threads about whatever they listen to. Amazing. So maybe people have questions about this thing and want to ask me something. So yeah. this will be on Tuners. I'll be out there listening in case you have any questions. You had about 500 million streams at home, so let's hope <laughs> that some of those people, will, I'm sure they'll tune in. So yeah. this was a pleasure, man. Come cheers. back anytime, and we'll talk about your next record when it comes out, the second one that we can't really talk about. Thanks, Scott. Okay, awesome, right, cheers. Bro. Good to have you. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots' tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. 
They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more, more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. And uh, yeah, coming to you live from WeWork today. And so the show will return next week. And uh, have a great week, guys. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Well, hey there. Hey, Dennis Quaid is here. That's right. And guess what? I have a podcast. It's called The Denaissance, and I think you should listen. I'm having some really cool conversations with some really interesting people like music legend Billy Ray Cyrus, housewife Beverly Hills, Garcelle Bouvet, and many, many more. Listen to The Denaissance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In Lauren Lake's courtroom, there is no nonsense. When you but I just said I'm a Don't talk when I'm talking. Just results. Mr. Jackson, you are the father. <laughs> Live it, own it, be it. You see it? Listen to Lauren Lake's Paternity Court on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts 